border crisis, paid family leave, free markets are bad, wealth taxes, and what are you for? Irish man stands with America. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Hello, America. Thank you so much for tuning in today. This, of course, is the show exclusive to the Blaze, where you come for the accent, but you stay for the principles. And we have a lot, a lot, a lot of principles to discuss today. Because I want to do something on this show I don't normally do. Because right now, we have to have serious conversations. And what I'm going to do on this show is, normally I just make things about principles and I'm going to ask you a lot of questions today because I want to help you find out where you stand on the issues. Yes, I'll tell you where I stand and why I stand with these principles, but I don't want you to leave this show today having my opinion. I want you to find out where you stand on the issues. The difference today is I'm going to give you real-life examples and actually accredit some things that have been said by quote-unquote conservatives over the last one to two weeks. The reason I don't do this normally is because when I find, when I make conversations about, well, did you hear so-and-so said X, Y, and Z? Instead of the debate being about what they said, it's always about what they think about that person. So if they like that person, there's always a load of excuses. If they hate that person, it's they just throw them under the bus. And it's very hard to have a meaningful conversation. But I'll tell you why I'm changing the format of this show for today only. It's because we need to have an honest conversation about what being a conservative or what being a libertarian means. Because over the last couple of weeks, Donald Trump made a few speeches And Donald Trump said, to great applause, America will never be a socialist nation. Grace. Everyone is cheering, everyone's clapping, everyone's going, yeah, of course we won't. America will never be a socialist nation. Yeah, Trump 2020. Okay. That sounds great. It is a wonderful soundbite to play to the masses. It sounds great. Because everyone who doesn't know anything about socialism, everyone who knows something about socialism, it panders to everyone. And then you have this clear divide for 2020. You'll have all the socialists on the left from Cortez to to Kamala Harris to Bernie Sanders, where they're just going to out-social and out-program and out-welfare each other. They're going to, it's like giving free candy away. And you'll have Donald Trump who'll be, well, we're never, ever going to be socialist. And I'm going to fight it. That sounds great for politics. That sounds great for your little five-second, ten-second soundbite to be replayed over and over and over and over again on Fox News, on The Blaze, on social media, on Periscope, on Facebook Live. I've seen this clip so many times I've lost count. I'm surprised it hasn't been made a GIF yet. Wonderful. Do I want America to be a socialist nation? Hell no. Hell no. But here's the thing. And I've said this time and time again. One of the reasons your founders were exceptional was because if you read your Declaration of Independence, not mine, your Declaration of Independence, everyone can tell you what they don't like, what they will never be. This is, do you know what the equivalent of, of your founders would have been? If your founders would have got up and went, you know what, we're never going to be a monarchy. If that's all they said, would America have been exceptional? Honest question. By the way, we also have proof of this because Alexander Hamilton at the Constitutional Convention, after you had fought the Revolutionary War and you had beaten the British, you go to Philadelphia and it's the Constitutional Convention. Alexander Hamilton, who was pretty important in the founding of America, you know, with regards, you know, some of the writings he did, you know, played a bit of a role, you know, kind of a big deal, made the audacity to say, you know what, maybe we should have a king. What was the reaction of the founders? The founders went, you know what? No. Not only no, but hell no. Not only hell no, but we're not talking to you for about six months. Because 
We just left the king, and you want us to go back? Are you are you crazy? No, go go sit in the bold corner. Bold, bold, Mr. Hamilton. Don't ever do that again. That's what would you be inspired? Would you have been inspired if your declaration of independence go, we're never gonna be a monarchy? Would you? Do you think I'd be here talking to you if that's what your founders did? Heck, even if you don't want to use the, the, the soundbite of the day, because obviously they didn't have the media that we have today with social media and, you know, the little tickers going along Fox News and CNN and MSNBC, it has to fit in those little words. It has to sound great. America will never be a socialist nation. Reads very well. Sounds great. But imagine reading your Declaration of Independence and all it is is the 27 issues against the king. Would that be exceptional? Would that be inspirational? Maybe. I don't know. I don't know how you rewrite history. But for me, one of the reasons of many, many reasons why America is an exceptional nation is because Thomas Jefferson, in his wisdom, in his awesomeness, said, you know what, before we get to the 27 things I despise against the King of England, let me tell you what I'm for. Let me tell you what I am for. America, you are at a crossroads right now. The right. I don't want to focus in on the left. I am sick about talking about the left. Let's focus in on the right for a while. Because it's too easy right now to go, you know what? They're all crazy. The Green New Deal, it's crazy. AOC, my God, have you seen what she said recently? Have you seen the double standards of AOC? If you haven't, there's uh, there's some... And I, truth be told, look, I don't want to mock her. I don't call her dumb. But some of the stuff is pretty funny, you know, where she's like, yeah, you know, global warming, yeah, but I use plastic bags. Like, I just use them and I throw them in my, you know, in the cupboard like everyone else. I'm like... You kind of shouldn't be using plastic bags if you believe in climate change. But, you know, logic and reason never really held any sway with the left because it's what they say, not what they do. But for me, it's too easy just to look at them and go, we're not them. So many times you've seen this happen over and over and over again, whether it's in presidential election, whether it's in elections for the House, whether it's elections for the Senate, whether it's elections for local elections. We're not them. We're not them. We're not as bad as them. Vote for us. You see this in your political ads where both sides do this, where it's like, you know what? This is what they said. This is what they did. Vote for me. I think it's absolutely stupid. I don't like talking about my competitor. If I was running a race, and yes, I know people would say, I'd lose. I get it. But I would want to talk about me. I'd want to talk about why America's exceptional. I'd want to speak about the Constitution and make those reasons. Hey, vote for me, not because they suck, but because I'm freaking awesome. I'm a constitutionalist. I actually read your founders. I actually admire your founders. I can actually tell you why America is an exceptional nation. If you feel the same, vote for me. Simple. Imagine that in politics today. But here's what I want to talk to you about today. The right, quote-unquote, even though I hate that term, let's use the language of the day. The right, let's focus in on the right. How much has changed in the right over the last 5, 10, 20 years? Let's just look at the right, but also let's look at your country. Has your country become moved more to the right or more to the left? Truth be told, whether you like it or not, you have moved more to the left. Why? Because so many in the Republican Party, so many on the right, so many in conservatives have based their ideology not on what they are for, but what they are against. It sounds great. I'm against socialism. I'm against Democrats. I'm against the big party of big government. I'm against Bill Clinton. I don't like Hillary Clinton. And what's happened? The Republican Party hasn't inspired conservatives. It hasn't inspired the country to move more towards freedom, towards liberty, because it's seen what the left is for. It's moved more and more to them. It's become more and more democratic light. If I may use a term from your history, the Republican Party has bought into the taunt. Where it's like, you know what, we'll just accept, you know, a not so distant form of democratic socialism. That's what you've done. Look at your debt. What does the Republican Party stand for? What does the right stand for? What does conservatives and libertarians stand for? What do you want to be? It's easy to say you're not, don't want to be a socialist nation. Great, I agree. But what do you want to become? It's time to make the case for freedom. Last week, last week I talk, spoke to you and I laid out a ground map. Last, for the last two weeks prior to that, I was in your nation. I was in Texas. Texas, one of the most reddest states of the nation. And I went around to eight different places to speak. And I spoke about your Declaration of Independence in Texas. And the amount of people who said to me, 
That was really good, but I haven't heard it in a while. That should not be the case in Texas. Maybe in New York, if I went to go speak in eight places in New York, maybe in liberal bastion New York or California, you'd be like, hey, I haven't heard this thing about the Declaration of Independence. That's a really thing. I haven't heard that in a while. Maybe in those places, you can make that case. In Texas, that should never be the case. It should be the case that, hey, yeah, I heard about that last week or last month or yesterday. That's what needs to happen. We need to stop focusing in on the left and why they suck. Make the case about principles. Absolutely. But we need to start telling people what you are for. I'm going to share some stories with you today. And I want you to go through them bit by bit and not find out where I stand on them. Where I stand is irrelevant. I want you to find out where you stand on them. Because if you make this about the left, you will slide further and further and further left. If you make this about what you're for, and even if you disagree with me, that's cool. I'm okay with that. But you must start making the case of what you are for. And we're going to do that now. story I want to talk to you about is the whole situation regards President Trump, national emergency, the border, rerouting funds. I want to talk to you about this story in depth. Because this week, Rand Paul came out very publicly and said he will vote for a bill in Congress which will block President Trump's emergency declaration. And I quote, this is what he said, I cannot vote to give the president the power to spend money that hasn't been appropriated by Congress. We may want more money for border security, but Congress didn't authorize it. If we take away those checks and balances, it's a dangerous thing. Mark Levin, someone I respect, who's my colleague on The Blaze, came out with this and tweeted it and said, I quote, phony conservative Rand Paul, discreet pathetic. So let's actually break this down because there's two things we need to talk about this. First off, we need to address Mark's comments. I like Mark. I respect Mark. I used to be a regular caller on his show. I, I've learned so much from him. But I totally, 100% disagree with his comments on di- two different levels. First off, it's become common in your country, and especially in my circles in media, to dis- be disrespectful, to talk down, to insult people who disagree with you. Can we stop with this? Are we a monolithic now where we all have to think the same way and act the same way? Because here's the thing. If you believe in freedom and you believe in liberty or any version of it, or you're open to it, you cannot have monolithic thought because that is the very definition of tyranny. If you say you have to think a certain way or act a certain way, that is a form of tyranny. You are a tyrant. Now, just to be clear... Because I don't like talking about people. Well, are you calling Mark Levin a tyrant? Oh my God. No. I'm not calling him a tyrant. I'm saying about the behavior. If you believe in monolithic thought, regardless of what it is, you're acting like one. It's okay to agree to disagree. A little short story for you. So I was in in Texas over the last couple of weeks, and I met with many people, but I also met with some friends. And I heard a really troubling story from a friend of mine. And it's no one you know, it's just a friend of mine who has a business. And they work in, I don't know, IT, doing some stuff. I, I'm not an IT guy, so I was just talking in general. And they've merged companies, and they're, or they're buying other company out, or they're, they're working with different companies on a project. And basically, what it is, is the company he works with is a, and I'm trying to say, what's the nice way to say this in the thing? They're a bit older. So they've been around the block. They have a lot of experience. I think probably their youngest employee is probably the 30-year-old receptionist, right? I, I know some of the people who work at this company, right? You get, you get the picture. And I'm, I don't know how to say this. I'm not, I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but they're a lot older. And they're from the Midwest, Southern type of states. Well, this company that they're doing work with are potentially buying out. I don't know what exactly is happening. They both work in the same field, but this is more West Coast and younger, 
And the problem, I, I, can't, I don't want to go into two details because we had many conversations about this and stuff. But one of the problems they have with this, you know, working together is because of the differences of opinion where, not about politics, but about where they live and also their ages, they actually have people who say, I don't want to be civil to you. You're wrong. You're flat out wrong. And I had the long conversation about, with this guy about it. And like, he's like, how do I teach people to be civil? I'm like, <laughs> come work in my field. And then if you find out the answer, I'll, dead and, you know, I'll, I'll be a very rich man. I have no idea. The way we treat each other on social media, it's starting to spread. It hasn't spread to your culture, thank God, on the ground yet. People are still awesome. It was so wonderful to see. But that's question that's in my field to my colleagues on all sides of the aisle. Why do we have to be so disagreeable? I know it's great to, you know, pound flesh, you know, to get your pound of flesh and to pound someone into ground. You're an idiot. You're a dummy. You're a stupid person. How could you ever think that? But why do we have to have this incessant need to be insulting? Is it okay to just go, hey, you know what? We see things differently. I don't, it's not a judgment against you. I'm not condemning you. It's just, hey, we have a difference of opinion. That doesn't make me your enemy. That doesn't make you wrong or me wrong. It just means we see things differently. Isn't that okay? Isn't that the very essence of freedom? The freedom of conscience, the freedom of opinion, the freedom to express yourself. And yes, the freedom to be wrong. So that's the first part of this story. The second part of this story, I want to break down for you the issue. Because I've listened to both sides of the aisle. Now, full disclosure, if you want my opinion, I'm going to give you my opinion as well on this issue. I am not a fan, and I think I would vote for this resolution. I don't care who I'm voting with. If I'm voting with Democrats, I don't care. This is not about Democrats. This is not about President Trump. This is about the Constitution. What is the importance of this issue? National emergency. Have you read anything in the Constitution about a national emergency? Go read the Constitution and look for those terms. Go do it yourself. Go do your own homework. Guess what? You won't find it. It's a term that started in 1976 with a law under that great conservative icon. What's that conservative icon? for? Oh, yes, Jimmy Carter. That, that conservative icon. The bastion of freedom himself, Jimmy Carter. So there's your first part. Second of all, national emergency. You don't see the things. But how do we do funds? How, do, how does the Constitution talk about allocating funds? Well, it's very clear. Crystal clear, in fact. That's an Article 1 power. Now, I know they're abusing their power because they're not doing it the way they're supposed to do, i.e. budgets, and they're doing continuing resolutions. That's a subject for another story. That is where the power lies. Article 1 has the power. Now, let me flip this and give you some scenarios, because I want you to find out where you stand on the issue. First question. Does the Constitution actually matter? Does the Constitution matter? I say yes, it does. I defend the Constitution every week on this show. My answer is yes. What do you say? Second question. If you have something that you really need to do, but you can't get it through Congress or you can't get the president to do it, doesn't matter how you get it done. Do the ends justify the means? Or is there a principal way to do things? And if you can't get it done, then you have to live with it. You have to wait till the next election. What do you say? Because my answer to that is, you've got to make the case, and it doesn't matter. The ends do not justify the means. That is the left. That is how they do it. If they can get a true Congress, they will. If they can get a true executive order, they will. If they can get it through the Supreme Court, they will. They don't care. The ends justify the means. What say you? I'm not that person. I will be with the Constitution, even if it means I lose. Third question. Funds. What powers do you want in the Constitution? Do you believe in the Constitution? Because those who are saying this is a constitutional area, and people like Mark Levin, who I respect, he spoke at CPAC. If you actually go watch Mark Levin's speech, it's around the three-minute mark where he speaks about the national emergency, because he's for us. He's a big supporter of it. And you listen to his argument about the Constitution and how it is constitutional. Here's the problem with his argument, in my eyes. He doesn't mention the Constitution once. 
He talks about statues. He talks about pre prior administrations. So the statutes on the book. Do we believe when you talk about the constitutionality of something? Do you go to the actual constitution or do you go to the laws in the book? Because bearing in mind that I believe is one of the biggest problems you have right now. Because when it comes to the Supreme Court, they don't actually talk about this constitution and what's in the constitution. They make the case for what the precedent is. What did prior judges rule? What did prior rulings say? What are the other laws on the book that have been passed by Congress? Do you want to support the constitution or do you want to support the rule of man, even if it's flawed? Next question. Do you actually believe that the precedent of, well, prior administrations have done this and there's been 50-something emergencies and there was a load under Obama, is that justification for you doing the same thing? Is that justification? Or is it a case of, you know what? Let's see about the Constitution, not about what other people do. If other people are wrong, that doesn't give me carte blanche to do it. Next question. National emergencies. Imagine having a precedent where you do something for the border. Who is going to violate the Constitution? Worse. Who's better at it? Who has more experience at it? Now, I would argue both sides have a lot of experience at it. Republicans and Democrats. Republicans have, viol- have single-handedly destroyed the Fourth Amendment. Single-handedly. I don't know any one Democrat who could have done a better job at destroying the Fourth Amendment than the Republicans have done. Hello, Patriot Act. How are you? It's been a while. But going on the First Amendment, on the Second Amendment, look at all the issues that they think are national emergencies. You have this Cortez girl running around going, ah, 12 years till the world ends. We need to stop using, we need the Green New Deal. No new cars, no animals farting, no planes, no nothing, no hamburgers. Who do you think is going to use a national emergency better, the Republicans or the Democrats? And do you really want to play a part in when it comes to their time when we make the case, as I will, for its own constitutional, well, you supported it then. What's different now? It's only the ruling party's different. Do you want to make this case? Now, I've had conversations with people behind the scenes because people have asked me about this. And I had the audacity of one person to come and say to me, oh, you're just weak on the border. Really? Me? Weak on the border? Hello? I, of all people, of all the issues you can say, you know what, John, you're an Irish person. You, you don't really aren't affected over here. Of all the issues you can say that on free speech, on college, on Medicare, on taxes, on the Constitution, on a weak border, you can't say that because I'm right there with you. Why? Because it affects me. If there was a stronger border and you actually had proper immigration rules and it was enforced by Congress and enforced by presidents, guess what? There's a better chance I would be living in your nation now than if there wasn't. A big reason I'm not there is because you have... No, don't pay attention to legal immigrants like me or to people who want to do things the right way. When do you hear people talk about people like me? When? Who? Yet I can list off name after name after name of Republicans who love talking about legal immigrants. Oh, they act out of love and oh, they just want to pick lettuce and oh, well, you know, it's a crime, but it's not a felony. These are all quotes from Republican people like Jeb Bush, like John McCain, like you go through the list. Everyone talks about legal immigration. Oh, they're just dreamers. I'm weak on the border. No, I have a difference of opinion. I want a strong border. But I also want to stop illegal immigration coming from the 60% who overstayed our visas. Not just a wall, both parts of legal immigration. But I want to do things the right way. How do you want to do things? And here's the thing, if you're like, you know what, look, I see your point, John, but I just think it's a national emergency, and we need to get this done no matter what, okay, I'm not your enemy, I don't see you as my enemy, we just agree to disagree, we will just have to go, you know what, that's cool, we agree to disagree, we just see things very fundamentally different, I will hold to the constitution no matter what. Of all the things I can say and hold my hands up proudly about is when it comes to principles and the principles I promote on this show, I live them. And that you have that proof about me. If you need to verify who I am, you have that proof about me because if I didn't live the principles, I would be in your country right now. The amount of people, even if I went legally, the amount of people who say to me, John, just marry a girl. 
You, ca- I can find someone to marry. Not because they love me or anything. If I saved up about, I think the cheapest I was told is about $10,000. Because this happened to me a couple of years ago where someone actually pulled me aside and went, look, we need you in America. We want you in America. I can get you here legally. And I went, okay, do tell. I'm, I'm always open to ideas. It'll cost you about ten grand. And here's what happens. You know, I'll introduce you to someone. You'll have loads of phone calls. You'll you'll kind of like date, but you're not dating in the sense. She'll ask you loads of questions. You'll get to know her. You'll build up a rapport, a bond with her. You'll get to say what's her favorite color, what type of food she likes. You'll even go out with her when you come over on a visit. You'll go out with her. You'll have a few dates. And then you pop the question, you get married. And then you go through the immigration process. And you get to come over legally. It costs you 10 grand to her and ever how much the other immigration fees cost you. And then what happens is you get over and you kind of, you know, you'll see each other a few times. And then you'll figure out, you know what? It was just, just, it was just love. It's just, you know, it was just a, if I may use the language of the day, because I've heard this saying a lot this week, it was just a phase I was going through. I just, I thought I loved her, but, ah, do you know what? I got over there and I I just didn't love her as much. You know, it's just, I don't know, she was kind of different. And then we'll just separate. But we won't get divorced, we'll separate, but I'll still be able to live legally in your country. And then... After about five years, we get divorced. It just, just happens to coincide with the five years I need to stay in your country to become a citizen. That's what I could do. I don't, because I actually believe in principles. I actually don't believe in the ends justify the means. I actually believe in doing things the right way. Again, I'm going to talk to you about stories. This is the first one. I don't want you to think how I think. I want you to sit down and really delve into what you think. Because this is the second thing I learned about why I am so disgusted with so many of my colleagues on all sides of the aisle. So many people want to tell you what to think. That's not the job of this show. I never want you to feel that I am, hey, you have to think the way I do. I hope to make the case. I hope, I I think I come across, I'm kind of passionate about these issues. That you have, you. I am so passionate that you will learn about what you think. And you may, at the, end, the end result may be you share my opinions on the Constitution, on the Bill of Rights, on the Declaration of Independence. Great. But you don't do that because I said it or because you should do this. It's because you inspired to learn and you found out where you thought. Because right now, so many people are paid to tell you what to think. We need to actually, if we want a real freedom movement... We don't need to just tell people they need to be free. We need to encourage and inspire people to go learn about freedom and find out where they stand. So that when that storm comes, which it always does, they're not weak on the issue. We need to speak to the masses. We need to share the principle of freedom and of the Constitution. And on this issue, I don't care who Rand Paul is voting with. I'm not giving lectures to anyone, but I stand with Rand Paul. I think this vote is the right one. Because I don't believe in giving more power to to the executive. I believe all power should be vested in Congress. Those seven little words which are key to understanding your constitution. All powers shall be vested in Congress. But also let me just make one last point about the monetary thing. Of how well the, you know, they've appropriated the money and he's just moving things around. Would you be okay with that if it happened in a business? Imagine you were in a business... And your, your, your board of directors came and met, well, we're going to give X amount of money to this department and all through the departments. And then the CEO went, yeah, you know what? I'm taking a bit from you and a bit from you and a bit from you and a bit from you. And I'm spending it over here. Do you think that would be okay with the business? Do you think the business would be like, oh, that's totally cool. The CEO is that decision. That's, that's his decision. Or do you think there'd be absolute war? I'll leave you with this question. Whose job is it to al- al- allocate funds? Because if you set this precedent, what will the left do? And I don't want to be fear-mongering or do anything, but this is a real conversation. What will a a moderate, what would, you know, Jeb Bush do with this power? What would George Bush do with this power? What would any president do with this power? We need checks and balances. If you make one department bigger than the other and you can't hold it to check, what's going to stop it becoming a king? What's going to stop you becoming a monarch like you fought against in Britain to fight your independence? Honest question. If you have a disagreement or you let me know, I'm on social media, Twitter, Freedom Disciple, Facebook, Jonathan Dunn 58.
This brings me to the next story. So, last week was CPAC. And one of the, there's many conversations and discussions that happen and breakout sessions, as they call them, happen at CPAC. And they're hosted by many different variations of the word conservative. And you can argue whether they're conservative policies or not. But some of these have been discussed and we need to actually address them. So one of them I want to talk to you about is right now. PatriotVoices.com, which is Rick Santorum's baby. And I quote, I'm reading from their website. A pro-family policy that conservatives should support. Okay, cool. Let's see what this policy is. Let's read from it. Instead of a new baby creating a financial crisis, what if both parents could be supported to stay at home and bond with their baby and family? Currently, 25% of new mothers return to work within two weeks of giving birth. Fathers go back even sooner. Although studies show those at home during this time are more likely to be involved in their future child-rearing activities... Statistics on the health of families in the U.S. is troubling, with marriage and childbirth rates plummeting. Meanwhile, infant mortality rates are the highest in developed worlds. The White House has long supported a conservative approach to paid family leave, with Senators Rubio, Lee, Ernest recently advocating for legislative solutions. Let's decide what a pro-life, pro-family, paid family leave policy should look like, and why it should be a priority for conservatives. Let's break this down. Because we can sit all here all day long and talk about why America should never be a socialist nation, how the left suck, how Hillary Clinton, oh, by the way, you know, side note, I'm so sad Hillary Clinton's not running for 2020 because I have not had enough of that candy because I want to see her lose again and really badly. And I know that's not Christian, but I broke a few tears when she said she's not running because she's got to support other people. Oh, how nice. In other words, people said, yeah, we put out our feelers and no one went, yeah, we want Hillary 2020. So people said, oh, Hillary, there's no way to win. And she went, oh, okay. It's, it's, it, I'm sad. Can we just take a second to, you know, mourn Hillary Clinton not running in 2020? Okay, I'm done. On to, back on to serious issues. So conservatives, conservatives should support paid family leave. There's a lot to say here, a lot of principles to discuss, because it is so far-reaching. But let's break this down, first of all. I asked this in the last segment, I'm going to ask it again. Does the Constitution matter to conservatives? Honest question, because if you say no, then I'm okay with that. If you, I, I Just be honest. Does the Constitution matter? Does it? Honest question. Because right now, I'm listening to people, and I'm not being disrespectful when I say this. This is not towards Mark Levin. This is not towards Rick Santorum, and, or not towards anybody else we're going to discuss in the later in the show. But I honestly feel like the answer is either, no, it doesn't matter, and everyone's lying to me, or two, no one knows what's actually in the Constitution. And it's just a cool pip word we use that poll tests really well. Hey, I'm a constitutionalist, baby. I'm a conservative. Does the Constitution matter? Maybe that's the question we need to ask ourselves and actually have a conversation about it because maybe it doesn't. Maybe it's become popular now to go, you know what, it's an old dusty document, it's 240 years old, there's nothing left in it, it's not irrelevant, you know, the founders couldn't have predicted what America would be like in 2019. It was a nice document back then, but today, nah, no. Okay, If, if that's your opinion, can we just be honest about it? Can we not progress towards, no, we just violate and violate and violate and eventually just stop talking about it? Can we just be honest with ourselves? Not the left, the right. Can we just be honest? And I ask this question to start again because the Constitution is very clear on this. Unless we're going to use the liberal argument which has been used so many times of the general welfare clause, if you read Article 1, Section 8 of the Constitution, there is 18 clauses in there. 18! Prove to me how you can say paid family leave from the federal government is constitutional. I'll wait. This violates the Constitution. But even more so than that, let's just talk about it from a principal point of view. So, do we want people to spend more time with their kids? Absolutely. Absolutely. How do you do that? How do you actually get it to change? 
I'm of the old school, and I'm, I use this old school term from the 1980s. You know, the most fear, fearful words anyone can ever hear is, Hi, I'm from the government, and I'm here to help. That used to be the old saying, you know, conservatives used to rally around. You know, Ray, Ronald Reagan, you remember him? Remember him? Everyone used to love him. Even the left used to love him. Do, do we still believe that? Do we want the federal go? Is there anything? Actually, here's a question for you. If you support these policies and stuff, just honest question. Name one thing you don't want the federal government involved in, ever. Just give me one. Paid family leave. Is this where you're going? Is this now conservative? Because let's break this down. So Article 1, Section 8 of the Constitution. Is it in there? Can you prove it? Unless you're going with the General Welfare Clause, which is not an Article 1, Section 8 of the Constitution, by the way. Unless you're using that, those two little words, to justify it. Which is... If the, if the Republicans or Conservatives, quote-unquote, start justifying those languages, then we are then you're really in trouble because that's language used by the left to, to cons- distort every principle. Hey, it's the general welfare. We need this policy. This policy X, we need it. General welfare, baby. General welfare. Hey, the founders wrote general welfare. Paid family leave, general welfare. Is that what, you want? Is that what we're going towards? Don't tell me what the left do. Tell me what you stand for. Tell me what a conservative stands for. What policies you want to promote. Second thing. There's always a principled way to look at things. You know, let's forget the Constitution. Okay, the, you know, I'm boring people with the Constitution. Let's just look at it from a principled point of view. And let's just use people who, how, you know, on the fairness. You know, fairness is such a key word today. Is it fair? Is it equitable? Well, let's actually look at it. Is it fair? Let's take someone who, and I know many, a few people of this, who have really big families. I actually happen to know one of my dear friends, I think she has eight kids. Eight kids. Let's say you're going to give, I don't know, they haven't actually released numbers, but let's say they're going to give a month's leave to the, fa- to the mother and two weeks to the father. And let's say the average wage is about 750 bucks a month, a week. That means you're going to give... Give or take about four and a half thousand dollars to that family per kid. Let's just round it off to five thousand dollars, right? Let's keep it simple. Now, obviously, if the conservatives do this policy, what do you think the left are going to do? Hey, we don't need a month. What are you, a hate monger? Give her two months, and the father needs a month. Well, actually, that would actually mean they'd have to be pro-man. So maybe they'd actually be like, you know what? The man doesn't need any time. Screw the man. The man's the problem. He gets one week. But the woman, pro-woman, war on women, baby, she needs three months. Okay? That's what the left will do. But let's just say $5,000, okay? Let's just actually think this through. So my friend has eight kids. She's going to get $40,000 from someone, whether it's the federal government or her job, because she had eight kids. Now, what happens to someone who has two kids, only gets $10,000? Is that fair? Is that equitable? Is that just? What happens to the people who don't have any kids? What happens to those kids? Or to that family? Don't have any kids. They just work their butt off. Congratulations, you don't have any kids. Not only do you not get anything from the government, you know the taxes you pay? You know all those, you're, what, you're working your butt off, you're sweating at your brow, trying to make ends meet. You're paying taxes so someone else can have kids. And if someone has eight kids, they get $40,000. Does that seem fair to you? Does that seem just to you? Honest question, does it? Does it? Because it doesn't seem just to me. And then it goes on to, then you start thinking of other questions. Well, what happens to the people who don't have kids, but they adopt? How much money do they get? How much money do they get? And why don't they get more money? Where does this policy stop? And then I'll ask you one last principal question about this. Honest question. America is bordering on bankruptcy. I know people don't like this or they disagree with these terms. You're $21 trillion in debt. Your unfunded liabilities are approximately $125 trillion. Okay? At what point do you think you're not near bankruptcy? So we're talking about paid family leave for, I quote, let's have a pro-life, pro-family paid family leave. Okay? Because you're pro-family. You're enslaving future generations. You're enslaving them to debt they will never, ever be able to pay off. And that's all of a sudden pro-family? 
Really? At what point does this madness stop? At what point do you kind of go, you know what, America, we're $21 trillion in debt. We need to stop spending money. We need to stop spending money. This is not a hard concept. I, and I, to show you how not a hard concept it is, think of the most illiterate person you know when it comes to financial things. All right? Just think of the dumbest person you know on finances. Okay? Think of the poorest person you know, and they earn minimum wage. What's it? Seven twenty-five an hour, which is about three hundred bucks a month a week. They have three hundred bucks. Do you think they could say, you know what, your lifestyle needs you to live on four hundred? Do you think they'll be like, that's absolutely fine, absolutely, and I'll always live off three hundred bucks a month because I'll always be on minimum wage because I'll never get a better job. But my expenses will all be four hundred dollars a month a week, and I'll always be able to live. Think of the dumbest person you know. Is there any? The dumbest person is going to say. Are they going to say, yeah, that's totally sustainable? Are they? Because it won't work. Because eventually, they may be able to get, you know, a high interest loan somewhere. But eventually, the loan shark says, you know what? No. No more money. you got to pay me what you owe me. That's what's going to happen to America. I hope it doesn't for a long time. But at $21 trillion, we need to seriously look at what's happening. Which brings me to another point, right back to the start on this issue. I said to you earlier on the start of the show, it's great you're saying you never want to be a socialist nation, but what do you want the right to be? I remember being part around, oh God, this was so long ago, it was so, like you, you weren't even born when this happened, when George Bush, George W. Bush was president. I remember being around conservatives who actually wanted to cut government. Now, I know you hear these terms today that they wanted to cook government. I actually mean cook government. You know, we wanted to cook government by 20%, 15%, 10%. At least we wanted to cut it. When was the last time you had a conservative today say, we actually need to cut spending? We are spending way too much. Way too much money. When was the last time you heard that? Or is it just the case, well, they want a big increase. They want to increase it by a trillion. We only want to cr- increase it by 600 billion. Is that the type of language you hear? It's great to say you don't want to be a socialist nation, but what do you want to become? Is a pro-family leave policy conservative? Is it constitutional? Is it fiscally responsible? The answer is up to you. brings me to more economic news and things we need to discuss a couple of stories out of that have happened over the last month i think or actually started this year one is tucker carlson if you don't know tucker he he seems like a decent enough guy he's a host on fox news and he gave a monologue that apparently went viral i don't i don't have fox so i don't get to watch and also i don't get to listen to a lot of people because I'm just so much with work and my own life and my own research and the projects I'm involved in. I just don't have free time. I wish I did. I wish I had more time to listen to other people. But free time is, I only have 24 hours in a day and I don't have, I wish I had about 34 hours in a day. But in the monologue he said last week, he quote said, America's ruling class were the mercenaries behind the failures of the middle class and the ugliest parts of our financial system. He also said that thanks to the supply side economics favored by Republicans for decades, an American who works for a salary pays about twice the tax as someone who's living off inherited money. I want to link this to something else. Because he warned his viewers in the same monologue that humans do not exist to serve markets and that we are endangering ourselves by putting free markets on an altar. That's story one. Now story two is a tweet I saw at the start of this year from another quote-unquote conservative, Anne Coulter. And it reads, she sent this on the, on the 4th of January in the morning at 8.27am. Asesio Cortez, AOC, wants a 70-80% to 80% income tax on the rich. I agree. Start with the Koch brothers and also make it a wealth tax. Okay. 
It's great you don't want to have a socialist nation. Wonderful. We are in agreement. If you think um, you don't want America to be a socialist nation and will you support Donald Trump or you support Republican Party or the Conservative Party or the Tea Party or the Libertarian Party, we are in agreement 100%. But what do you want to be for? Free markets. We should not serve markets and we shouldn't put free markets on an altar. Really? When did free market economics become such a bad word, a dirty word? When? What is wrong with free markets? You want to know what free markets is? It's giving each and every one of you the power of the purse. Free markets is saying, you know what? Ever how you decide to spend your money, whether you spend it on beer, whether you spend it on food, whether you spend it on savings, investments, a mortgage, cinemas... Whatever you spend it on, businesses, R&D, salaries, equipment, whatever you spend your money on as an individual or as an organization, you get to decide where you spend it. What is so bad about that? Why is that so inherently dirty all of a sudden on the right? Why is it all of a sudden so popular to tax people, to have tariffs on people? To have tariffs against people's products that you want because you're buying them. Why is that such a bad thing? Why is it such a bad thing that you as a free person get to decide your future? Because let's bring this back to a principal point of view. Role of government. Again, Article 1, Section 8, keep that in mind of what the government actually can constitutionally do. But also just have a fundamental discussion. Do you think the government should be able to sort of compel you to act a certain way? Do you believe the federal government has that power? Or even if you say it shouldn't because of the Constitution, or sorry, it doesn't because of Article 1, Section 8, then ask yourself, should it? Should the government be able to compel you to act a certain way, to buy a certain product because it's from a certain country or from a certain business or a certain way of life? Should the government be able to compel you how to act? Because I fundamentally say no, and that is where we are in complete disagreement with a lot of people. I believe constitutionally the federal government does not have that power, but also from a principal point of view, they should not have that power. Why? Because I fundamentally believe we are all created equal. If I can compel you to act a certain way, if I can compel you to spend money a certain way, to buy American or not to buy Chinese, or to buy this ham and not that ham, or to buy no meat and buy salads, or to buy this tire because it's made in America, not in Mexico, then fundamentally you are saying we are not created equal. You are making the person who has the right to say that a god and the people who have to act a serf. You are making the man and God, not man and all men created equal. That is a fundamental change in the relationship between man and government. And yet again, that is why your founders were exceptional. Your founders were exceptional because they said, it is not government's job to give you rights or to tell you how to act. It is government's job to protect your rights. This is the fundamental difference we have in our society right now. And this is not a left-right distinction anymore. When did free markets become a dirty word? Because here's the truth to you, and I said this to Glenn, and I said it to many other people. I don't know whether I shared this last week with you or not. If I did, I apologize. But here's some things I learned from my trip. If you had said to me two, three years ago, prior to Donald Trump running, hey, what issues do we never have to talk about? I I can't tell you what I would have said, but I guarantee you one of the top three answers would have been free trade. Because I took it for granted. Republicans will always be for free trade. Look at how much you have changed in the last three years. Forget, this is not just about Donald Trump. In case, there you go, there's John going on Donald Trump again. Look, I disagree with the tariffs. That's an issue we've discussed on this show at length. I completely disagree with it. But now you have Tucker Carlson, a conservative, on Fox News, saying, you know what, we need to stop endangering ourselves with putting free markets on the altar. Is the free market a bad thing? Which leads me to Ann Coulter. Uh, AOC wants a 70%, 80% income tax on the rich, and she agrees. And she's quote-unquote a conservative. Is this what we are for? When did Republicans or conservatives all of a sudden hate wealth? When is wealth such a bad thing? 
Wealth used to create opportunities. We used to be believe in a set of principles that goes, if you have money, good for you. Once you got it by fair gains, we're good. I don't hate rich people. And I say this as someone who is inherently poor. I earn just over minimum wage in Ireland. I don't have my own car. I don't have my own phone. I have my own iPad. I have my own computer. I have a company car. But I don't own a lot of stuff. I only got out of debt last Christmas. I'm three months out of debt for the first time in my life. I don't have money. So it's not like I'm saying I don't hate the rich because I'm all of a sudden wealthy. I come from a family who has money. My uncle every two or three years buys a new Mercedes Benz. I don't hate him because he's rich. I don't hate him. I have people in my family who earn like God knows how much. They'd be technically millionaires and billionaires. I'm not poor because they're rich. When did hating the rich become key? And why, on a second point, on Ann Colder's tweet, why start with the Koch brothers? Is that constitutional? Again, Article 1, Section 8, go read it. Is that in there? Is that constitutional? But from a principal point of view, how would we feel if the lefts did this? Start with the Koch brothers. By the way, they've done this. Harry Reid, hi, how are you? Why are we all of a sudden hating people? If you disagree with people, if you don't like the Koch brothers, cool. I I don't have feelings either way. I don't know enough on the Koch brothers to say whether I like them or not. That's the truth. I don't go investigating people. But okay, let's say they're really bad people. Cool. Then why what you if you if you if they're really bad people and they've done something wrong, then go enforce the law. If they're just really like douchebags and morons and they just don't care about anyone, but they have made a lot of money through legal means, then just let them live their life. And also I don't mean to bring in religion into this, but you're a Judeo-Christian nation. Quote, to this is the people on the right, not the left. You believe in God. If they're dirtbags and they live a really bad life and they have screwed everyone but never done anything against the law and they have all this money, God's got this. If you believe in God, God's got this. Judgment Day comes for all of us. When did we become the party that hates rich people? Because here's the impact of this, by the way. Impact of this, what happens when you tax the rich 70 to 80%? By the way, in case you want a little of, you know, a little test tube dummy of where this has happened recently and the results of it, let me give you a test tube dummy of an example of where this has happened in the last, I think it's the last five years, but maybe it's shorter. This happened in France. What did, remember, uh, what was it, Hollande, Hollande, <laughs> I am uh, Francois Hollande, I am the French president, huh? Ah, I hate the rich, hate the rich, the rich are nasty, I need a 70% income tax on the rich, oh, richy, rich, bad people. What happened? What happened? End result? He brought in a 70% tax. First of all, all the rich people left, and where did they go? Just to put this into context, right? They went to Russia. If you're living in France and wee wee and eating bread and French bread and croissants and butter and you speak like this every day and then you go to Russia to colds just because they charge the 70% income tax. This happened. One of the new things this new guy Macron did when he got in power was stop that. Now he's going back and I go, maybe that wasn't such a good idea. But they lost money because of it. Because if you actually want to do things... Ireland is going through all these policies right now. Minimum pricing on alcohol, sugar taxes. I have a sugar tax. I can't avoid it. If I want a tin of Coke, i got to pay a sugar tax. My choices are i got to pay the tax or i got to have not have Coke. Now, truth be told, I'm on a new health kick, so I'm not drinking as much Coke. I'm not drinking as much soda, so I'm avoiding the tax. But if I really want that Coke, there's nothing I can do. It's not like I can go, hey, guess what? Screw you, Irish government. I'm not paying your sugar tax. I'm going to, actually, I was going to say I'm going to the UK, but I can't because they also have a sugar tax. I'm flying to France to buy my Coke and I'm going to bring it back. I'm poor. I don't have that money. If you have that money, if you're a millionaire and a billionaire and you're the Coke brothers, you can fly a charter jet to avoid that tax. Fly a charter jet just on principle to France, fill your charter jet up with Coke and bring it back. And yes, it will cost you a lot more money, but you won't have paid that sugar tax. Them rich have avenues I don't have as a poor person. If you start taxing people at 70-80%, where's the incentive to work harder? Where's the incentive to innovate? Where's the incentive to build new products? Where's the incentive to stay in that country or in that state? 
By the way, this is also happening in, in places like New York with the minimum waging. What do you want the government to be for? Because all these stories I've told you about, Rick Santorum paid family leave, Ann Coulter 70 to 80% tax, uh, Tucker Carlson, free markets are bad, and Mark Levin on the Constitution and emergencies. What do you want to be for? We agree 100% socialism is bad. What are you for? enjoyed today's show please subscribe we a new show is released every saturday morning we're on every major platform out there soundcloud itunes iHeartRadio, stitcher omni fm google play music spotify Castbox, overcast you name it we're there search for freedom's disciple if you listen on itunes please consider leaving a review it also helps with the algorithm also leave a rating it all it always helps gets us up there to get new listeners we're back growing in this show and we're gonna make a difference so thank you to everyone who subscribes. Please share it with a family and a friend. We're going to get a message out there. So for this whole show, I have spoken to you about the right, not the left, about the right. We're in 100% agreement. America hopefully will never be a socialist nation. But what are you for? This is where I'm going to share my opinion. And I'm going to share my aims with you. I'm going to be making the case for American exceptionalism each and every week to the best of my ability on this show. That is my promise to you. I have no right to tell you what you should be or what you can be or what direction you should choose. That is the job of the American people. But what I am about to do is I'm going to make the case for you of when I think you're at your best, why you are an exceptional nation compared to the history of the world. I believe America is at its best when you are for principles. You're not standing against something. You're standing for something. You weren't standing against Soviet Russia. You weren't standing against communism. You were standing for freedom, for liberty, for the individual, for leaving people to hell alone, for inspiring people to go, if you have a dream, you can make it. When you were standing in the civil war against slavery, you weren't standing just against slavery. You were standing standing for all men are created equal. You were standing for that principle that your founders wrote in a check in your Declaration of Independence, that all men are fundamentally created equal and endowed by their creator with certain rights. You were fulfilling that promise. You were cashing that check. It's too easy to say what you're against. Your founders made the case of what they are for. And my God, how powerful was that message. We are for all men being created equal. That means we are all equal. It doesn't matter whether you're black, white, gay, straight, who you sleep with, what age you are, what country you're from. We are all created equal because we are all God's children. I am for that principle. I am for the principle that we are all created equal and I don't have a right to tell people what to do. I know it's easy when you think of making men kings and queens in government. It's always easy to think of the left. I'll make it about me. If I had that power, I don't have the right to compel someone how to act. I don't have the right to tell you how you should live. Even if it's for your own good, I don't have that right. I can make the case, I can make it in a passionate way, and hope you follow. But I, I do it on the understanding that if you listen to me and you go, you may be right, John, you'd give it a good case, but I don't want to follow it, I want to go this path. Then that's your choice. You are a free individual. God gave you free will, I'm not going to take it away. I am for the pursuit of your happiness. Let me say that again so it's critical clear. The pursuit of your happiness. Whatever it is that you're felt you mean to, are meant to do in this world, we all have different missions. Whether you believe that you're given a mission from God, whether you believe you're just given a passion or you're ignited to follow a certain cause, you have the right to pursue your happiness and no one should stop you. No one should be telling you, you can't do it. If you want to go be a baseball player, go pursue that. If you want to go be a doctor and cure cancer, go pursue that. If you want to be a stay-at-home mom and raise a load of kids who are the most passionate about America, God-fearing people, go do that. 
If you want to, I don't know, go be a merchandiser. Go be a street streamer. Go do whatever it is you want to do. Go be a politician. Go do that. Pursue your happiness. No one should have a right to say, no, you can't do it. Sit down and shut up. You have a right to pursue your happiness, but you're not guaranteed it. These kids today, I see kids when I was in college, a few of them were telling me they want to be professional sports players. I'm like, cool, go for it. Ah, but I I can't. Go for it. Pursue your happiness. You have one shot in life. One. We're not cats. We don't have nine lives, quote unquote. You have one opportunity, and especially with something like sports, you only have one opportunity. It's not like you can start going, you know what, I did, I messed around in my 20s. Now I'm 30. I'm going to start playing professional sports. It doesn't happen. It's when you're young. Go do it. You want to go sports? Go pursue that happiness. Give it everything you have. But guess what? You may be successful, but you may fail. But you have that right to fail. But if you are successful, you have a right to keep the fruits of your labor. You have the right to be successful. You have the right. If you become a multi, 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 multi millionaire, go for it. I was reading a story this week. What's the Kardashians? The youngest Kardashian, I think she is. Chloe, Kylie, one of them. I, I'm, I don't care about them. I don't care. But she's like the youngest self-made billionaire of all ever. Good for her. I don't care. I'm not going to buy any of her stuff. I don't even know what she sells. I don't even know how she's become a billionaire. I, I genuinely don't know. I don't care. I don't hate her. Know nothing about the girl. I don't watch the. This might spoil. This might be a spoiler alert. Yeah, I might be, you know, lifting the lid of something you don't know. I'm not very cool. I don't know what the Kardashians do. I can safely say I've never watched even one second of Keeping Up with the Kardashians that I know of. And if I have, it was like ten seconds, and my brain went. My brain went. Delete. 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 I don't know, but hey, good for her. She's a self-made billionaire. Good for her. Happy days. I don't care. Pursue your happiness. I don't hate her because she's rich. She could go out and buy Gucci handbags or Versace clothes, high heels. She'd be eating, she could be eating like $1,000 lobster tails. I don't care. I don't hate her. She'll have more opportunities than I'll ever have. Good for her. I don't hate her. I'll pursue my happiness. I am also for free markets. I am for giving you the power as an individual of what you spend your money on. I believe that you should be able to keep the fruits of your labor, keep as much of it as physically possible to be responsible for your life, but also that you have a right to pursue and buy whatever you like to buy with your money. If you want to save it, save it. If you want to spend it on going out with meals, bringing fancy women out or you know, buying a fancy car or going to the movies or hanging out with your friends and drinking loads of beer, go for it. Beer's cool again. We saw this with Elizabeth Warren. Hey, beer's good again. It went bad for a while. But you have a right to do it. Follow your passions. That is some of the principles I am for. That is when America is at its best. That is some of the principles that made America exceptional, unique, and different to every other nation, past and present. We need to start sharing these principles again. Sorry, I can't say that. We... I am going to start sharing these principles the best I can each and every week on this show. Because it's easy to say you're not socialists. But what are you? Are you going to fulfill the dream of your founders? Are you going to continue on that wonderful path of individual freedom, of individual rights, of limited government? Of pursuing your happiness and keeping the fruits of your labor? Or are you just going to go to some detente version of socialism? Well, we're not for socialism, but we'll do socialism light. Or we'll flirt with socialism and do a bit of it. What path do you choose? What path do you choose? Because America, let me give you this, because a lot of people would say America is, if it turns to socialism, you're going to go to bankrupt, you're going to become Venezuela and stuff. Listen, America can be a great nation. You can be a great nation. You can live and not have principles. You can violate the Constitution. You can ignore it and just become, you know, another piece of document. You know, another, like the Magna Carta. Just a good piece of history, but no one ever pays attention to it anymore. Heck, no one even knows what's in the Magna Carta. Not many people have read it. You can go and be that nation. You can continue on. You can even be, you know, financially prosperous. Have good years and bad years. You can be a great nation. Or you can be an exceptional nation. 
You can be the nation your founders wanted you to be. The nation that every generation stood, fought for, and died for since the founding for era. That choice is in your hands, not mine. I will be your biggest cheerleader until the day I, if I ever get the honor of becoming an American citizen. But I will be your biggest cheerleader. I will be the person reminding you of what you were and what you can be again. But ultimately, it doesn't matter what I say. It doesn't matter what I think. It matters what you think. Which path do you choose? What America do you want to be? The path of we're not them or the path your founders laid out of telling you what you're for? This is your decision. This decision belongs to the American people. And I will be your biggest cheerleader reminding you of what your founders wanted and what you can be again. I hope this show has given you something to think about. If not, I hope you appreciate the fact that my vocal cords have, are a bit stretched right now and a bit strained after this, after this show. I want to thank you for tuning in. And I want to finish this show the way we finish each and every week, by saluting the real heroes in society. Your police, your firefighters, your emergency personnel, and your veterans, especially your veterans. God bless them for all that they do. The men and women who risk their lives 24-7 for a better tomorrow. And lastly, I salute you, the great American people. That's the one principle that I did not say we're for. The sentiments of the Tocqueville. America is great because Americans are good. America is great because Americans are good. If you heard nothing else of this show, I hope you did because my voice is really sore. Hear this. America is great because Americans are good. Until next Saturday morning, have a beautiful and blessed week, America. God bless. Freedom versus freebies. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn. On the Blaze Radio Network.